It's this week in Detroit Tigers baseball, episode three for the week of June 29th through July 5th, the midseason. This week in Detroit Tigers baseball brought to you by Fansided.com, bringing all sports fans together one blog at a time. This week we're joined by Greg Eno of Where Are You Now, Johnny Grubb, Ian Castleberry of BlessYouBoys.com, John Braun of TigerGeist.com, and Jay Ellett Lambie, EyeOfTheTigers.com. Coming up later in the program, we'll be joined by Matt Wallace of Take 75 North to talk about your prospects on the prowl. We'll also look back to June 28, 1976, when Mark the Bird Fitterich took the nation by storm. So grab your Tigers hat, grill up a hot dog, sit back, and have a cold one. It's this week in Detroit Tigers baseball, and it starts now. High drive into left field. This ball is hit well, way back. Luciano will watch it fly. It's gone. For second, the 1-0. Swinging a fly ball. Left field is deep. It's way back. The Tigers are going to the World Series. Bringing the best Detroit Tigers bloggers together to talk about our team. Sponsored by MotorCityBengals.com. It's This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball, and it starts now. Welcome to This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball, talking about your Detroit Tigers for the week of July 29th all the way up to the 5th of July. I hope you're having a great week. We're joined by a great panelist this week, Greg Eno of Where Have You Gone? Johnny Grubb at enotalkbaseball.blogspot.com, John Brunn at tigergeist.com, Jay Ellett Lambie's joining us of eyeofthetigers.com, and Ian Castleberry over at blessyouboys.com. How's it going, everybody? Great. Very good. Very good. Hey, Joe, thanks for having us on. Yeah, no problem. Uh, we got a lot to talk about this episode. We're not going to necessarily look at the week of baseball action, but we're going to look at the first half with the All-Star break coming up. And there's a lot to talk about, a lot of specific things that we're going to go around, talk about kind of in a roundtable fashion. And first of all, let's just get on, get it out of the way. What do you guys thought of the first half? Did you really think that right away they're going to be in first place four games up? Was this really a possibility? We'll start with Jay Ellett. I think it's a possibility that the team has the talent coming out of spring training to compete in a weak division. But the fact that teams like Cleveland and Chicago have been so poor has certainly made it a lot easier. Yeah, I think that's really the possibility. And, and Ian, you look at the AL Central, It's it's been an interesting race so far. We thought the Twins would be there, but we, we, we really thought the Indians would be there too. It's been kind of interesting, huh? Yeah, I think we probably should have... Uh... We should have guessed that the Indians pitching just wasn't going to be good enough. You know, they had Carl Pavano as their number three starter. That should have been a red flag right away. Yeah, it, the Cleveland Indians have struggled. They started selling pieces. They get rid of Mark DeRosa. And speaking of pieces, we we look at we're going to look ahead in the next segment. We're going to take a look at the trade deadline, see if the Tigers are going to do anything. But a guy that the Tigers brought in was Edwin Jackson, and John with Tiger Geist. What do you think of Edwin Jackson so far? He's been surprising, hasn't he? We didn't expect this, did we? No, I don't think anyone uh, could really have expected that. Um, it's interesting, though. I mean, like, if you look at the other Tigers who are doing really well, you kind of saw potential um, in them again. You kind of expect to do what he's doing at some point in his career. Um, 
Jackson was the same way. Everyone had, thought he had this potential and he had, you know, he's having this great breakout. I think turnaround, the fact that what uh, we got, uh, we being the Tigers, uh, got Jackson for was, I mean, at this point just looks like a steal. Yeah, it does with Matt Joyce not really getting the opportunity. That he's getting the opportunity, but not really producing. And Jay Ellett over to Eyes eyeofthetigers.com. You wrote a great piece on Edwin Jackson not getting the run support that maybe we, maybe he should be getting, and that might affect the future of Edwin Jackson. I think it's certainly a possibility. Every year there are pitchers throughout baseball that, that struggle to get run support, but Edwin has been so dominating so far, and you can see in his eyes when he comes off the hill in these games that are, are he's allowing one run and losing, or allowing two runs and he's tied, that it's wearing on him a little bit, and I'm hopeful that in the next four to six weeks you'll see some changes offensively that'll take some of that stress off of him so he doesn't have to be absolutely perfect every time out. So far, Edwin Jackson on the year 6-4, and 2.49 ERA in 16 games started. One complete game. He's thrown 108 innings. He's thrown more than Justin Verlander going into the year. Did we really think that that was going to happen? I'll start with you, Greg. Well, you know, I mean, I think that the Storm with Jackson was uh, his control, and uh, I think if there's any really uh, terrific bright spot about Edwin Jackson in terms of what we didn't expect was uh, his control. I mean, he, his walks uh, have gone down dramatically, and um, uh, I was concerned about that, frankly, going into the season, but, uh, you know, he, with he and Judson up top of the rotation there, uh, got two just bulldog-type guys who are uh, – or mean and nasty on the mound, and that's uh, that kind of harkens back to the old days of uh, Jack Morris and Bob Gibson and and Don Drysdale, guys like that who just uh, um, just have genuine dislike for the uh, for the batters in the batter's box. Oh, I'd agree completely. And there was an article in the Free Press comparing Jackson to Bob Gibson. I think that was even before the season. So. Pretty interesting what Jackson's done so far. Meanwhile, Justin Verlander back on track. 3.40 ERA in 16 games started, 103 innings pitch, and an 8-3 and record. I'm going to go around the table here, starting with Jay Ellett. Tell us who your MVP is for the first half of the Detroit Tigers. Yeah, Justin was one of the two players I had a hard time deciding between. and uh, I'm going to take Miguel Cabrera uh, from the standpoint that uh, I think an offensive player will have more impact on this team playing every day versus every five. But Justin's been tremendous. There's no question about it. But Miguel either leads this team or is second in virtually every offensive category. He's provided that presence in the middle of the lineup uh, that scares opposing pitchers and opposing managers and makes them alter the way they attack this team. And, and that's something that, that Justin can only do once every five days. That's a very good point, and I, I, I agree to a point. We'll get to my opinion a little bit later, but, Ian, I want to ask you, who do you think's your MVP for the first half so far? I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I think it's Brandon Inge, uh, especially if you uh, factor in his defense. Um, but he's he's come up with the big hits uh, more recently, plays a, a great third base, and I think I think he's, he's been kind of a leader for this team too. Surprisingly, I would think that Tigers fans would agree with you to some point when Inch has been the scapegoat before. I think they might agree with you this year. Hey, Greg, who do you think your MVP is? You know, uh, Ian kind of stole my thunder. I, I agree with him. I, I picked uh, Brandon uh, myself, and I don't think I really had much of a hard time coming up with that either. I mean, he leaped right to mine. I agree with Ian about uh, the factor in his defense, and 
Uh, the clutch hitting, uh, the, the home run he hit in Houston on Sunday was about as big as you're going to get in the regular season. And he has the ability, um, Joe, to make uh, hard plays look easy. And that's, I think that's always a, a trademark of a good defensive player. How does he make those hard plays look? And he makes plays uh, look easy that other other third basemen would actually would, would terribly struggle with. And I I think that, he like, like Ian, I agree with Ian again with the leadership. Uh, he just provides that as well. And I, I see him being a Tiger for life. He's one of these guys I don't see wearing another uniform uh, in his career, and uh, I would love to see him uh, stay in Detroit for years and years. And he loves the community, and uh, he's definitely my MVP for sure. Yeah, he gives so much back to the community as well. And so far this year, I think what the key has been is the fact that he's hitting for some type of average, and that might not be what every fan wants, hitting 276 so far this year, but you got to appreciate the effort that Brandon's put in, especially after last year where they forced him behind the plate as well. Hey, John, who would you take as your MVP? You know, I don't know. They all sound good. Uh, Inge, I think, is great. Um, I'm just going to go with Jackson, mainly because I think he's the main reason that they're not a 500 team right now in the fact that you kind of thought Verlander was was capable of doing this. You knew he was capable of doing this. Um, Inge, same thing, you know didn't necessarily expect to see it again but from previous numbers you thought he might get back to where he was a year ago and you just didn't see Jackson coming in and the innings he's putting in uh and wins um yeah I just I think it's kind of what separated him so far being the 500 team I really thought they were going into the year yeah I think that's the difference and when you look at that and that's a good point about Edwin Jackson when I look at MVPs I'm torn between it because like you said John they all sound good but when you look at what my MVP is going to be a coach. It's going to be Rick Knapp because what he did to turn around this starting rotation, it's not perfect yet. The bullpen's pitching better. It's struggling, but he's definitely been an impact. This one's open for anybody. Have you have you guys noticed the impact of Rick Knapp? Yeah, I think that Rick Knapp uh, would, would tell you that the way the pitchers of pitch are, are making him look very smart. <laughs> he's been taking a very uh, all-shucks kind of uh, approach to it and, and trying to downplay his influence. But I think behind closed doors, he's got a, a lot of influence and uh, – um, but he's right that when the pitchers pitch well, it's kind of like the Leo Mazzoni factor. He had all those great pitchers in Atlanta. He went to Baltimore. He wasn't so smart, was he? No. <laughs> no. Go ahead, Jay Ella, with your thought. The point that I was going to make was there, there just seems to be a different look about Tigers pitchers, at least in the front end of the rotation and the back end of the bullpen. Uh, Fernando Rodney has been far more consistent in closers' role than anyone, I think, he would do this year, and I'm giving Knapp a lot of credit for that. He talked about what he did with the starting rotation in Minnesota. So that, to me, has been the big difference. It's just the confidence in, in Edwin and Justin uh, and in Fernando in those big situations. Well, there's been a lot of arguments simply that the Tigers' all-stars aren't being represented. They haven't been voted in, really, and a lot of talk about Brandon Inge's performance so far this year. Two of, two of the panelists thought he was the MVP of the first half brings it up a good question. Is this guy a true all-star? Should he be in St. Louis this year? Go, go ahead and start with Ian. Yeah, I absolutely think he should be. Um, well, for one thing, there's there's just not the, the uh, log jam at third base that there is at, say, first base. You know, Evan Longoria should definitely be there. Um, Inge is probably, yeah, the, the second or third best third baseman in the American League right now. Um, if, if they had to pick one position player, I think he definitely should be it. What are your thoughts, Greg? I, you know, I don't think it's, it would be 
uh, right for me to pick him as the, the team's MVP and not say that he's an all-star. I think he certainly uh, is an all-star. Um, you know, obviously you have to look at around, look around the league and see how many other players have played the same position. But if you're just asking me, do I think he should be on the all-star team, I would absolutely say yes because uh, you mentioned, uh, Joe, about his batting average being higher than, than uh, usual. Uh, he still strikes out a lot, but he's making a lot more contact, I think, in crucial situations. He doesn't seem to be striking out. Uh, you know, in key situations. So, yeah, I think he's, he's uh, certainly an all-star. I would love to see him there in St. Louis. Going to John at Tiger Geist. Uh, John, I want to ask you a little bit. You got to watch the Tigers yesterday, and you're a big fan, as, as we all are. Uh, do you think this team can compete with the AL teams, the big ones, the Red Sox and such? You know, I'm so torn about it. At certain times, it sure looks like they can, they can play with anybody. At certain times, it, it seems like the lesser teams make them struggle. Um, I, I definitely think uh, you go into a short series, they can compete with anybody. Um, that's for sure. I am I, really concerned that, you know, Bobby C's arm is going to fall off. Um, something, the bullpen, with these, with these close games, if they don't start having, if they're not able to get more use out of their bullpen, um, I'm not sure at the end of the year if they're going to compete. Um, I, I kind of have the, uh, the, the still fresh in my mind when, when the Giants were in the, the World Series and were six outs away and Rob Nen's, Rob Nen's arm was uh, hanging by a thread just because he had pitched so much during the entire year. And that's kind of my fear at this point. Right, there's, there's that fear there that the bullpen's going to get tired because after those, num- those two top starters, it's been rough a little bit, especially at the top half of the first half. And Another question you got to ask, you talked about Bobby C. And JL, one of the questions, we got this new lefty coming in yesterday in Fute Neen. You wanted to talk about him a little bit. We all got to watch him. Leland said, quote, he did fine. He looked pretty impressive, actually. I think he will be do well. What do you think about Fute Neen so far? Well, I think he has the, the ability to be a much more effective left-hander than, say, Nate Robertson, who he's essentially replacing, which I realize is not saying much, but... Uh, he has great tailing action on all of his pitches. Uh, I've seen some pitch spec stuff uh, posted around the web today uh, and had a chance to see some footage of him throwing last night and then throwing uh, overseas. He should be very effective against left-handed hitters. The thing that concerns me is in, early in his windup, he brings his left hand pretty far behind him, and the hitters get a very good look at the grip on the ball half a second before he releases it. Good hitters are going to figure that out, and they're going to make pay for it. If Rick Knapp can make that adjustment and he can keep the ball away from strong left-handed hitters, I think he'll be effective. You know, I was going to mention the same exact thing. That's kind of funny because when he releases that ball, it's wide open. It's easy to pick up on what he's throwing. Good point there, Jay Ellett. I'm probably going to shoot myself for bringing this up, but we'll start with Greg and Last year, or this team, it kind of reminds me a bit of the 2006 team, the first half. Are they pretty comparative in your mind, too? Uh, well, well, don't forget that in, in 2006, they jumped off to like a 76-36 and 36 record after 112 games, and right. which was just almost 700 baseball. And uh, this, one is, this record has been a little bit more uh, conservative. But, no, I, I don't think I would, I would like, compare the two. Uh, I, I don't get that same feeling it's because I, I guess because – because of 2006, don't forget in 2006 there hadn't been any, any contending teams in Detroit for so long, almost 20 years, that that it was really brand new. Now we kind of um, have seen, you know, 2007 was a good first half, and then they tailed off, and 2008 was obviously a disappointment. So 
I look at this as being kind of a kind of record they should have been having all along, and maybe as kind of a revenge for what happened last year. But I still think that they're not going to be an elite team unless they get another big bat in the middle of that lineup. We'll talk about that in the second half, the second segment. We'll talk about the trading deadline in the upcoming second half. But Ian, I want to extend the question to you. You've You've witnessed a lot of Tiger baseball. The name is Bless You Boys. And does this remind you of any other Tiger squad out there? No, I don't think so. Mostly because they seem to be playing so well in spite of uh, so-called uh, superstar players that were expected to produce. You know, they're winning despite Maglio struggling. They're winning despite Guillen struggling. Um, you know, Galarraga uh, taking a dip this year. Um that certainly, as far as I can recall, that didn't happen in 2006. Everyone seemed to have a career year that year. And this one, you know, it seems like they're getting just enough from the positions they need, um, along with uh, the other teams in the division underperforming. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And it's very, it's very uncomparable, I think, in some senses, because you've got players, like you said, just going out there, getting the job done, not any extra flash out there you don't have the Craig Monroe walk-off home runs or in in any of that sense but altogether they're playing better baseball I might argue that this team might be a bit better than that 2006 squad when you look at the whole long haul but that's a different story I want to start with Jay Ellen with the next point and when you look at the shortstop position Adam Everett and Ramon Santiago Jay you think this is working out for the Tigers I think it is. Coming in, I had some reservations about Adam Everett as an offensive player. We all know what his club's like, and the knock on him for a while has been he wears down. And it's been the same essential issue with Ramon Santiago. He's not a guy to play every day. If their egos can be managed, and so far it seems they can be, if these guys can contribute and, you know, at a timeshare basis, I think the results so far have been spectacular. they put up well over 40 RBIs out of that position. They're hitting well. They're playing good defense. I'm hopeful that they can continue this. Yeah, I'm hoping so, too. And, Ian, you posted something about Adam Everett where I, I believe it was John Heyman said that he's one of the best free agent signings so far. Yeah, he, he's given them exactly what they needed. You know, they paid a million dollars, which is, you know, virtual chump change. Hitting would, would just completely be icing on the cake. And uh, I think he's going to be back next year as well. Jay Ellett, I want to talk a little bit about Rick Porcello. Is there going to be a limit coming up in the second half? We'll talk about that a little bit in the next segment. But so far in the first half, he's pitched well. We're starting to see him tire a bit. Is that going to be a factor continuing throughout the rest of the first half and then through the second? Well, I, I don't believe so. And, and I hope that I'm wrong in this case. And I'm probably going to be in the minority. I'm not one for coddling young pitchers. I believe that that, more than anything, contributes to the arm problem we tend to see. He's yeah, I, I, I agree with you. He's a stud athlete. He's a stud athlete. This is a point in life where he's a horse, you let him run. I'm hoping, I mean, you look back at guys, Dwight Gooden, at 19 years old, hit 218 innings. Nolan Ryan, 202 innings. Tom Seaver, at 21 years old, hit 210 innings. They all went on to throw pretty well for a long time. He's being paid like a major league player. He signed a major league contract. Now it's time to act like. Now, some would argue that a guy like Mark the Bird Fitterich in 1976, he went 200-some innings, he threw 28 games, and he had 24 complete games. Some look at his career and they'd argue against you. I agree with you, but is there any of the panelists out there that might disagree? It had nothing to do with him. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I don't think that had anything to do with him tearing up his knee, jumping a fence in spring training. <laughs> what ruined Fitterich. 
I'd also like to say that one, one difference between Porcello and the uh, the other pitchers mentioned, like Gooden and Ryan, and Porcello's not the ace of this staff like those other pitchers were. They don't need to uh, to max him out. What What is an option if they say decide to cap cap Porcello? Do they have to trade for a pitcher? Well, I, I mean, they've tried to find a number five start uh, all year from uh, Toledo, and, uh, you know, uh, that's had mixed results. Um, I, I agree about not coddling pitch, pitchers. I, I'm also from that school of uh, if you have a horse, you let it run, which was mentioned. I think that's a perfect analogy. I think that uh, a guy like Porcello, uh, I don't know what really, frankly, what the difference is between, and maybe this is just me being naive, but I don't know what the difference really physically is between somebody throwing 200 innings and somebody throwing 160 innings in terms of uh, what that does to him, if anything, in the long run. Um, I I don't think I think if push comes to shove, I don't think that you you start to uh, suppress him, especially if you've got a uh, a division to win, which it looks like the Tigers will have. Uh, looks like they'll be in the driver's seat, and I don't know why you would hold him back when you've got a chance to do something special. Now that Leland has the contract extension, do you think that's going to affect what they do with Porcello? I mean, he's probably not worried about his job as much. Do you think that's going to affect? what Porcello does. I know he's not the ultimate sayer, but... That's an interesting question because, yeah, you, you think that he would take more of a risk in uh, pitching Porcello, maxing him out, if he was uh, caring more about his contract. But I, uh, I think he's been really uh, consistent in how he handles young pitchers. So I, I don't, you know, he did much the same with uh, with a Verlander in 2006. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to make a difference in how he handles Porcello. Well, we'll have to wait and see what the second half entails for Rick Porcello. Coming up, we'll take a look at the second half on this week in Detroit Tigers baseball. We'll also take a look at the trade deadline. Should the Tigers add a bat? That's all coming up next. You're listening to This Week in Detroit Tigers baseball. Brian turned to glance at the pilot, who suddenly had both hands on his stomach and was grimacing in pain. I don't know, kid. The pilot's words were a hiss, barely audible. Bad aches here. Bad aches. He stopped as a fresh spasm of pain hit him. The pilot was having a heart attack. Brian saw the pilot slam into the seat one more time. One more awful time he slammed back into the seat, and his right leg jerked pulling the plane to the side. Brian was sitting in a bush plane roaring 7,000 feet above the northern wilderness with a pilot who had suffered a massive heart attack and who was either dead or in something close to a coma. He was alone. In the roaring plane, he was alone. The plane, committed now to crashing, fell like a stone, and Brian eased back and braced himself for the crash. Explore new worlds. Find out what happens next by reading the book Hatchet by Gary Paulson. For other great book ideas, visit literacy.gov. A message from the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Pitching of Marcelo Mac, if seeing him out, he was more about a caring track by this kind. But I think he's been resistant. I can see handles and how he was a young pitcher. You know, I don't he did the same. Welcome back to this week in Detroit Tigers baseball. It's time to talk about the upcoming second half and trade talks as well. We are joined by Ian Castleberry of BlessYourBoys.com, Greg Eno of EnoTalksBaseball.blogspot.com, and where have you gone, Johnny Grubb? Also joining us is Jay Ellett Lambie of EyeOfTheTigers.com and John Braun of TigerGeist.com. All right, guys, let's get right into it with second half talk and trading deadline talk. I want to know from all the panelists, do you think the Tigers need to add a bat before the deadline? Oh, absolutely. They need to add a bat and preferably a corner outfielder or a corner infielder, someone who can 
have flexibility, uh, build a DH role at times, and take some heat off Cabrera on the corner outfielder. Yeah, I totally agree. They they need to add a bat more than anything. Um, uh, I think I think a left-handed bat would help. Um, yeah, if somebody you can plug into left field, first base, DH, um, that would that would be ideal. It, it would make a big difference. I think maybe they can get by in the regular season without it, but I think in the playoffs for sure it would be exposed if they didn't get that kind of player. Greg, do you agree with the fact that a left fielder or outfielder needs to be added? I th- I'm of the opinion that a bat needs to be added, and and, and if you look at the around the field, uh, around the diamond, that would be the, those would be the positions, obviously, that you would most likely look uh, unless you were going to do some, some real, really unexpected trade. But, yeah, I think that uh, another uh, big bat in the lineup will take a lot of pressure off. I think what's happening right now is that you're seeing Tigers pitchers almost having to go out and only give up three or four runs a game so that uh, while the Tigers, meanwhile, scratch to try to score four or five you know, to win the game. Um, you know, I'm not expecting them to score 9, 10, 11 runs a game, but, you know, it seems like it, they're really putting a lot of pressure on these guys to go out there and pitch, you know, uh, you know, just really keep keeping the run, run, uh, runs against down because the offense is so inconsistent. I mean, they'll score five or six runs one night and then get shut out the next. And, and I think it's because they've got that missing piece in the middle of the lineup. And you can't count on a guy like Carlos Guillen when he comes back because you don't know what that's going to, you know, what, what he's going to be like physically uh, and, and getting his timing back and everything like that. I think that they, I would like to see them get somebody that's established. Uh, I think that if they do that, that probably will be the piece that would put them over the hump, and I don't think anybody could catch them in the division if they were to do that. John, what do you think? Do they need to add another bat? Yeah, absolutely. I think a bat, uh, just for consistency's sake, they, you know, they're, they're extremely streaky at this point. That could be something that, that could help uh, even that out quite a bit. Well, the Nationals are definitely sellers coming up with the July 30th deadline. They are one of the worst teams in Major League Baseball. Check that, the worst baseball team in Major League Baseball. And Jay Ellett, do you think Dunn is the type of batter you want to add to the lineup? Well, I, I don't, and it's, it's going to be for some of the reasons everyone would expect and some others. Uh, you've got to keep in mind, in addition to his low batting average, although he does have a very high on-base percentage comparably, which is good, he's a National League hitter. You're asking a guy to switch leagues late in the season to come into a ballpark with a big outfield where his defensive liabilities are going to be in hand. And keep in mind, Adam Dunn, career in August, he's a 227 hitter. Career in September, October, 223. Plugging percentage less than 100 points, you know, below his career averages for other months at the end of the year. It tells me he wears down. It tells me he's going to struggle to adapt. I, I think that would be a big mistake to bring a guy like Adam Dunn in. All good points, Jay Ellett. And you look where Adam Dunn has played in his career, Cincinnati, Arizona, and you also look at Washington, small parks, not Comerica Park size, that's for sure. Well, since I'm hoping that the Tigers don't bring in Adam Dunn, Ian, you've mentioned some names on your blog who do you think could be coming to Detroit? Some good fits. About a month ago, Kurt of uh, Mac Avenue Tigers brought up Russell Branyan. And uh, that that's a name that really intrigues me. I don't know if he's somebody that uh, can keep it up over a full season, but I like that he's he, he would be a low-cost option. He's a left-handed bat. He could play first base, maybe even a little third base, although he probably would never have to play over there. DH, I don't know if he can play outfield. He probably has at some point in his career. I agree that, that they shouldn't go after National League hitters, too. So the fact that Russell Brannion has American League experience is really appealing to me. 
I don't think the Tigers should acquire a National League hitter, but when you look at the sellers in the American League, they happen to be in the Central. Now, Greg, do you think a Central trade could even happen? It would be very unlikely unless something just came down the pike that you know somebody couldn't say no to. But, yeah, the trade within the, within the division, because you have to think about not only this year, but if you're just because you're a seller this year, uh, i.e. the Indians, doesn't mean you're a seller next year because we've seen how these this division kind of, you know, you kind of throw it up against the up the stairs, and then whatever, like baseball cards, throwing them up the stairs, whatever lands on top is the first place team. Every year, it seems like it's different. So just because the Indians are, are struggling this year does not mean they're going to struggle next year. So you don't you don't trade a guy in the, within the division unless you get something just just outstanding in return because you don't want you don't want that guy just terrorizing you 18 times a year for the next five or six years. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's pretty interesting. I haven't heard any American League sellers out there besides in the American League Central. Has anybody else heard of any American League teams selling? Baltimore is uh, essentially out of it in the AL East, and I would imagine guys like Aubrey Hobbs, who's going to be a free agent at the end of the year, could be had for the right price. Yeah, that, that's a good mention, Aubrey Huff, and he, he can play the first base, and he's played the outfield in his career. He's played third base, too. He might be a good fit. That's an interesting question. As I was looking at Baltimore today, because there's a couple of players, and um, their payroll is really modest, and they really don't have to dump anyone. Their attendance isn't really – it's only down about 2,000 people per game. So they don't really have to go into seller mode just to do it. So it might take more than you would think is normally necessary. That's my only concern there. Well, let's stay with the Tigers for the second half. And one of my concerns, and it's been a concern all over the place, is will Edwin Jackson and Justin Verlander hold up in the second half? What's your thought on that, Ian? Uh, I, I'm definitely worried about that, especially with Jackson, because uh, Leland seems to interested in riding him to the ground. You know, if you'd have asked me this a few weeks ago, I would have said they, they would hold up because I, I thought they would have enough starting pitching depth to maybe skip a few turns. Uh, in the starting rotation over the next couple months, but n- now I'm I, I am definitely concerned. I, I think their track record says that they can hold up, but I'm definitely nervous about it. It is definitely nerve wracking when you've only got two starters getting the majority of the wins. It really is. And Jay Ellett, you look at what Edwin Jackson and Justin Verlander have done this season so far: six wins for just or for Edwin and eight for for Justin. So you got to look at what they've done, and you think they're going to be able to hold up. Uh, I tend to agree with Ian on this. I think physically they're capable of it. Uh, they're in the prime of their careers, and they're pitching incredibly well, but there's so much being asked of them right now that unless this team can really solidify the back end of the rotation, use spot starters well for a couple of weeks here and there, it, it makes you suspicious. And keep in mind that both of these guys, if you look at their split stats in the second half, they fall off the table like a fat guy down a spiral staircase. It's really <laughs> ugly. Uh, Justin Verlander's ERA is almost five. Jackson's is over five. Their whips go through the roof. So I agree. I, I want to believe in these guys, but the organization needs to do something to give them, uh, you know, not weeks off at a time, but a bit of a respite going forward. I'd agree with that. And one, one thing you bring up is the the – organization has to do something they've tried at the back end with alfredo figaro we saw in his last start that 
He is young. He's never pitched above double A and that he's going to struggle. We'll start with Greg here. What do you think they should do in the back end of the rotation? Is Zach Miner the option or do they need to go outside of the organization? You know, I've always liked Zach Miner as a starter. Um, I really have. Uh, I, I would also say that it's too bad that Armando Galarraga didn't have the year he had last year this year. Because I'm, I'm almost like I was almost like uh, last year was a wasted year for him to have such a such an outstanding year. But because uh, if he was pitching anywhere near what he was pitching like last year, you know, we probably wouldn't be having this kind of a conversation, at least not to this degree. I think that's where the offense comes can can help too, though. I mean, I think that if you can get a, a pull starter, maybe a little bit earlier than you would, you would like, or not not that you would like, but earlier than you normally would, if you had more run support. I think that's where you can kind of help the pitching staff as well. If you can't go on and get a guy outside the organization, which I think uh, is always easier said than done, um, then you can you can kind of try to help them out by uh, scoring more runs. To be honest with you, because uh, if you if you have a, a guy like Verlander or Jackson in the sixth inning and his pitch count gets up there, but if he, if he's got a four or five run lead, then maybe you don't feel like you have to lean on him so much, and maybe you can pull him uh, maybe 20, 30 pitches earlier than usual. So I think that's where the, the offense can come into play because it's always easier to say let's go out and get a pitcher from another organization than actually being able to do it. If they can't do it, I love Zach Miner as, a, as an option. I, I wish they'd put him in the rotation because I feel very comfortable with him. I think he feels comfortable as a starter as well. Well, Greg, you're right. An offensive bat would definitely help if they can't t- bring in a pitcher. One guy that John and I were talking about before the broadcast was Matt Holiday of the Oakland Athletics. Now, John, you got to watch him yesterday as you watched the A's and the Tigers. What do you think of this guy, and do you think he fits well into the Detroit Tigers lineup? I do. I think bringing him in with as, as a Boris client is kind of interesting as well with the Maglio situation. All right, guys, I've been thinking about this question for a while. I'm going to direct it to Ian, see what you think about it. But Joel Zumaya, he's struggled in the bullpen just a bit. He gave up that home run to Micah Hoffpower, that 85-mile-an-hour changeup. He's having a hard time deciding what to throw. Now, with Gerald Laird being a great defensive leader and catcher, is the best option maybe to bring Joel Zumaya in as a starter, even with this weak rotation? It seems like a good fit. For this season, I don't think it is. I, I would like to see them move uh, Zumaya to the rotation eventually. I just think that's too big an adjustment to make midseason uh, to, to stretch him out. I mean, he's, what, at max a, a two-inning a two pitcher? Um, I, I think that would just put too much of a burden on the bullpen, too. If, if, if you know, he, he went out there and maybe he pitched four innings and, and then, you know, you, you got you to gotta tap into your middle relief, which isn't really the Tiger's strength. Speaking of that fifth starter spot, returning to that going into the second half, there's two guys, one named Dontrell Willis, one named Nate Robertson. Are they going to have any effect on the team in the second half? I really don't see it happening. What about you guys? Well, if Nate Robertson feels comfortable selling hot dogs, I think there's a place that's organization <laughs> for him. And I, I hate to be cruel, but... He can't, he can't throw the hot dogs, though. That elbow is barking on him. <laughs> Before the injury news came out about the fifth, and, and obviously I'm glad that he had the surgery and that he's going to recover. I, you know, I never wish anybody ill health or you know bad luck or anything, but his fastball isn't fast. His breaking ball doesn't break. He doesn't locate. He doesn't change speeds. He doesn't spot, and he can't get left-handers out. I mean, if it were not for a guaranteed contract, he would have been gone from this team halfway through spring training, if not last year. With the surgery, they're saying four to six weeks before he can throw. Uh, I don't think he's a factor at all going forward. Dontrell is interesting. 
a lot of people have written him off already, and rightfully so, based on what we've seen. But there's something about this guy that makes me want to believe in him. Maybe I'm an optimist. Maybe it's an ethereal thing and not stat-related. But I think there's at least a chance Dontrell could contribute something towards the latter end of the season. But Nate Robertson, I, I apologize to people who love him, but I, I just can't. I think what it is with Willis is just the simple fact that he gives us glimpses of at least being a decent pitcher at times. When you look at that one start where he had, I believe, maybe it was seven strikeouts, and I think it was his second start back. And when you see that, you, you get excited. I, I don't know. Maybe, I believe the same thing, JL, that maybe there's a chance that he could be there at the end of the year. But then again, he hasn't shown it in the Tiger uniform at least. Well, one of the topics as well that's been hot is a lot of people in Detroit and Detroit Tigers fans aren't happy with Fernando Rodney, this guy that saved completely. He's had 100% save percentage. And, John, we go to you first. What do you think of Fernando Rodney? He's horrible in non-save situations, but this guy can close the game out, right? Yeah, I, I, I see why you can't love the guy. Um, going into the season, he thought he was the third option at closer, and he's 17 for 17, so, I mean... We, you know, we thought Brandon Lyon was going to be the answer, and then I watched him get bombed for four home runs in spring training. So, yeah, and you look at Brandon Lyon; he's getting a new defined role as well. It's getting interesting. We'll go to you, Greg, on your thoughts about Fernando Rodney, and I'll, I'll just start off with this: Do you think he is a Todd Jones type? I mean, the guy does throw almost 100 miles an hour. Well, when you have a guy like like uh, like Rodney, he's he's got to throw strikes. And um, where where he's fallen off the wagon is where is when he's fallen behind hitters. And uh, the, the the concern I have with Fernando Rodney is that you don't always have a warm and fuzzy feeling about whether or not he's going to throw strikes when he comes into the game. Um, there are some guys that get hit and lose blow save opportunities, but that's because they get hit. Fernando seems to struggle with uh, save opportunities because he's he's walking guys and he's putting guys on base and. He's putting himself into jams where he's got to come up with a strikeout or a pop-out or some sort of a, you know, uh, you know, a double play or something like that to get himself out of the jam. And um, I just, I feel, I, I feel confident in him to a degree, but I also kind of wonder every time he comes out there, is this the guy that's going to throw strikes tonight or is this the guy that's going to walk two or three guys and fall behind everybody 3-1, three, 2-0? Three, um, that's where, I mean, he's not giving up home runs, which is good, which is the, you know, the bugaboo for a lot of us blown saves is giving up, uh, you know, gut-wrenching home runs. He's not doing that, but he's putting runners on base and putting himself in situations where he's got to almost pitch perfectly to get out of that situation. And that's not – and obviously what that's also doing is, is bringing his pitch count up so that he may, may make him not available for, for a, a, another key game in that series. So he's going to throw strikes. Uh, that's, that's something that's uh, – all the Tiger pitch, all the Tiger believers to work on all right, Ian, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Game six in the ALCS against the Boston Red Sox. Are you trusting Fernando Rodney on the mound in the ninth inning? Oh, geez. Uh, yes, because I don't know who else to trust. That's a very good point because there's nobody else that really can fill this job, can there? I mean, Lyons pitching a little bit better than he has, but he's got to be the closer. He has to be. There, You know, he, he is problematic, but, uh, yeah, in the ninth inning, who uh, – who has a better chance to get that strikeout? You know, even if he does put two runners on, at least uh, at least he has a chance to get out of it. I got a little theory. How about Dontrell Willis? I mean, it's a good idea, you know. 
Well, on that note, we'll wrap up segment number two. I want to thank Greg Eno, Ian Castleberry, John Brunn, and Jay Ellett Lambie for joining me. Every single one of you bring great insight for Detroit Tigers fans, and I want to thank you so much. You can find Greg Eno's work at enotalksbaseball.blogspot.com. Ian Castleberry calls blessyouboys.com home. The Fanball Network just got a great writer at eyeofthetigers.com, Mr. Jay Ellett Lambie. Thank you for joining us, as well as John Brunn of TigerGeist.com. Hopefully Justin Verlander gets that no-hitter for you. When we return, we'll take a look back to June 28, 1976. That's when Mark the Bird Fitterich took the nation by storm. It's this week in Detroit Tigers history when we return on This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball, part of the Fansided Network. The strongest tradition in sports. The most Stanley Cups in the NHL and in the postseason for 23 of the last 25 years. Red Wings hockey coverage is here. Detroit changing behind the play. Mulvey in. Mulvey holds it. Score! to Holmstrom, to Datsuk, to Hossa. Datsuk goes. There it is. Scores! What a thing of beauty! Got the center ice on Cleary. Gonchar turns it around. We've thrown the octopus on the ice for over 50 years, and we're not stopping now. It's octopusthrower.com, part of the fan-sided network. He swings a line shot, base hit, right field, the Tigers win it. Here comes k to score, and it's all over. Don Wirt singles, the Tigers mob Don. k has scored, the fans are steaming on the field, and the Tigers have won their first minute since 1945. Four World Series championships, 20 Hall of Famers, and in existence since 1901. We wear the Old English D proudly since 1904 because it is our heritage. It's time for this week in Detroit Tigers history on MotorCityBengals.com. Welcome back to This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball. I'm Joe Dexter with This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball History. For this episode, we go back to June 28, 1976, where Mark the Bird Fitterich at age 21 shut down the New York Yankees on Monday Night Baseball on ABC. He went nine innings strong. i got to tell you, I've seen a lot of ball games play, and I've caught a few. I don't think I've ever seen a pitcher this keyed up in the ninth inning of a ball game, or all through the ball game, you didn't think this guy would be running out of gas by an hour, starting to get down a little bit, but he is just starting to heat it up. What's getting me is he's giving me duck bumps, and I've watched over 8,000 ball games. The fans are cheering, let's go Mark. Here's Hendricks. Two outs. Gamble at first. The Tigers lead 5-1. And here comes Fidrich off the mound. He's saying, settle down, Paul. Listen to the fans. Let's go, Mark. And now, the 3 2 to Hendricks. The fans ready to explode. Here's your pitch. Ground ball should be the ball game. It's over. And the Tigers act like Fidrich has just won the seventh game of the World Series. He has. <laughs> He's won seven in a row. He is some kind of unbelievable young Mark Fidrich. After the game, Mark Fidrich didn't talk about his performance and his success. 
He talked about the teammates behind him. I don't know, everything's just new to me. So I just come out as hard as I can come out at people. And then I have a D, those guys are doing two-thirds of the work, and I'm only doing a third by pitching, you know? They got me to run and all that other stuff, and the people come out and draw it and get my adrenaline phone. What can I ask? I couldn't ask for no much more. Detroit Tigers fans couldn't ask for more in 1976 when Mark the Bird Fitterich took them out. The rookie went 19-9 and in 29 games. Started of those 29 games started, he went the distance in 24 of them, going 250 innings in 1976 with 97 strikeouts. But that's not the true story when you talk about Mark the Bird Fitterich in 1976. He's what you call a fans player out there with so many antics, and you could relate to him as a fan. He will always be remembered in Detroit Tigers history. Early in the year, Detroit Tigers fans and the organization lost Mark Fitterich, but his spirit will always live on. We'll always remember that personality on the mound, talking to himself, the ball, and manicuring the mound between pitches. Legend broadcaster and longtime Detroit Tiger Ernie Harwell shares how he'll remember Mark the Bird Fitterich. Always uh, be in my memory as the bird, the young man who talked to the baseball and threw it past the hitters and became an overnight uh, cult hero. Uh, all over the nation, really. People love to see a baseball player or any performer who seems to enjoy himself in his performance. And he was the epitome of that. Ernie Harwell witnessed Mark the Bird Fitterich on the mound firsthand. And though he had a lot of success in 1976 and the rest of his career with the Detroit Tigers, he won't always be remembered for his on-the-field success. Many fans, including Ernie Harwell himself, will remember Mark the Bird Fitterich because of his one-of-a-kind personality. He'll be in our hearts and minds and souls. It'll be a great legacy that he's left us because uh, he was truly one-of-a-kind. When we come back, Matt Wallace of Take 75 North will join us to talk about the prospect on the prowl. You're listening to this week, Detroit Tigers Baseball. We're proud to be standing there like a house on the side of the road, and we cheer when your Tiger hits it long gone. MotorCityBengals.com, part of the Fansided Network at Fansided.com. He's to the 20, cuts outside at the 15, minute to the 10, minute to the 5, touchdown! I don't care if he's slash, dash, double, or trouble. D'Angelo Williams has the goods to play in the National Football League. Blanker right, split and left, DeLone on a handoff up the middle. D'Angelo Williams first into the clear and takes it to the house for a score. It's the show that's all about your Carolina Panthers. Catch the great debate, the interview, and much, much more, including interviews and opinion. It's the best Carolina Panthers podcast alive. Catch it at catcrave.com. We admit we didn't play shutdown defense in high school, but so what? Fantasy CPR is your home for the full court press every weekday. Revitalizing the heart of fantasy sports one day at a time. It's FantasyCPR.com. They're not growling, they're not biting, heck, they're not even angry. But these young players have a future in the old English D. It's time for Prospects on the Prowl on MotorCityBengals.com. Here's Joe Dexter. Now joining me on this week in Detroit Tigers baseball to talk about this week's prospects on the Prowl is Matt Wallace of Take 75 North. Hey, Matt, how's it going today? Good, how are you doing? Doing good. Well, the Tigers, they recently wrapped the 2009 amateur draft up with some interesting picks in the first round. What is your evaluation of first-round pick Jacob Turner and then second-round pick Andy Oliver? Well, Jacob Turner, I mean, he was, uh, you know, 
he follows the Tigers' rule of getting the best guy. And if you're following the draft, he was on the list as the top prep prospect. And, uh, you know, they he fell to him because of the worries about demands. And just like they seem to do, you know, when it when they think the cost is reasonable, uh, they, they pop him. <laughs> you know, uh, I think they've done that for the last five years now. Yeah, and you look at Turner, arguably the best fastball of the prep prospects as well. Yeah, I was kind of curious if they would spend the money. I, I I did a couple mock drafts, and I thought they might go with Shelby Miller, who's you know that same kind of type, crazy fastball. And but uh, you know they they went with the the big money guy. So you know everyone's concerns about them not being able to spend money don't seem to uh, have played out. And you know you you also asked about the second round guy and. He's a Scott Boris client, so uh, he's not going to come cheap either. Were you kind of surprised with that second-round pick? Were you thinking maybe they go more positional in this draft? I wouldn't say I'm surprised just because everyone seemed to be kind of down on the position players in this draft. But uh, I kind of like what they did because almost like taking a risk on a guy who was hurt who you knew, know was going to come back. You know, I mean, he was, he was a top-ten talent in the preseason, and he was a little disappointing, you know, for his junior season with – Oklahoma State, but, you know, the stuff is still there, they thought. So, you know, they went ahead and popped him and probably hoped they could get him for, you know, maybe a little less than what it was taken, you know, at the beginning of the season. They had a pretty good pick in Andy Oliver, and they say that he's possibly going to be a reliever arm, somebody that might not be a starter in the future, but at least you get the stuff is there, like you mentioned. I always kind of cringe when I hear taking relievers that high, but a uh, good bullpen's important, and if you can build them cheap, that's, I think, even more important. Well, in the third round, Matt, the Tigers, they finally went offensive. They got a third baseman, a versatile third baseman, and Wayne Gaynor, and he's an Atlantic Sun Belt all-conference first-team selection, all-American this year, and became the first player in Western Kentucky history to hit 20 home runs and 20 stolen bases. So 781 had an on-base percentage of 457, all impressive numbers, 940 field percentage as well, but he was playing in the Atlantic Sun Conference. Do you think these numbers are a little bit inflated? Yeah, I guess I can't help but think of uh, Ronnie Berkwin <laughs> when I <laughs> when I hear him. Uh, I mean, you know, Berkwin was their, uh, I think, their second-round pick in 2006, and he just killed the Big Ten. And then, you know, he's come out, and he's finally come on a little bit this year, but overall he's been kind of a disappointment. I haven't seen him play. You know, I actually haven't seen either of them play, so I can't really make that comparison. But just the third base, big bat, just kind of makes me nervous. Plus, there seem to be some questions about defense, and uh, I mean his defense at third. And that seems to be one of the things that they have a pretty good feel for you know, immediately going into a draft is where a guy's going to be defensively. So that always makes me nervous when you, you know, when you hear anything less than good reviews on a guy's defense. Because if you're a third baseman and you got to move, then you're talking left field at first base, and then all of a sudden you've got to have a really big bat in order to be a valuable prospect. But you know, I don't mean to sound pessimistic on the guy. <laughs> his his numbers so far aren't great, but numbers that low you can't rely on. It's a really, really small sample still. And for whatever reason, the New York Penn League this year is unbelievably pitcher-friendly. Uh, I think the average GRA in that league is under three right now. So you can't fault the guy too much for not killing the ball. 
and it's showing he's hitting 267 in eight games so far in the New York Penn League. Well, a guy that is continuing to struggle as well as Kale Org is with Double A Erie. He's showing a little bit of power, getting out of that slump, but only a 270 on base percentage. You think that Gaynor be instantly becomes one of those top hitting prospects in the minors next year? I don't know about overall, but he doesn't have a lot of guys to go past at third base. The Tigers are just amazingly weak at third base. They've got a kid who just started playing in the GCL, the Gulf Coast League, uh, Francisco Martinez, I believe. Yeah, I mean, other than that, it gets slim pretty quick for at that position. You know, and, and I mean, overall, position-wise, the Tigers had a lot of work to do in order to build up any kind of depth there. Are there some prospects out there that have been impressive lately, or are there some injuries out there that we need to know about? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if people know the names I've been throwing around, they probably already know Casey Crosby. He's striking out a ton of guys down in the Midwest League. He's still young. Uh, he had, a, I think, a five-inning no-hitter. Uh, I mean, not a no-hitter, but he no-hit the other team for five innings, struck out six in his last start. I personally like Mauricio Robles. Uh, he just got promoted to Lakeland. He had some blister problems on his finger, but his last start was a lot better after uh, two or three that kind of made you nervous. He's, he seems to bounce back a little bit, So he, and he's supposed to have a really live arm too. You know, you got those two. I, I was really starting to like Cody Kaiser, but uh, he, he kind of fits in both categories. He's, he was hitting – he was one of the best hitters for Lakeland, but now he is down with, I believe, a shoulder injury. And, and the bad thing is the uh, Tigers just signed uh, an outfielder for that outfield, and that kind of makes you wonder. Also heard that Ryan Streeby might be hurt too. Yeah, yeah, he hurt his wrist. Uh, last, he missed the last month of last season. Uh, two or three weeks ago he missed a few games, and that you know kind of made people wonder, and now he's out, and uh, they called up Ronnie Berkwin from uh, – West Michigan. I mean, you're going to have some injury problems. The, I mean, I guess the good thing about Streeby is, you know, he had this injury last year and came back from it and was still killing the ball. So hopefully he's going to be able to bounce back from that. If you want to talk about best hitting prospect, he's definitely right up there. I think people are finally starting to notice that he's he's just been killing the ball the last two seasons. And, yeah, I mean, he's still pretty young. Well, Matt Wallace of Take 75 North, you can find his great insight at mvn.com slash Take 75 North. Matt, thank you so much for joining us on Prospects on the Problem. We look forward to hearing from you in the future as well. Anytime. Thanks a lot. Well, that's going to wrap up this week in Detroit Tigers baseball. I'm Joe Dexter. I want to thank all my guests today, from the panelists to Matt Wallace to even the listeners. Thank you all for joining me. I had a great time. We'll be back next week. As always, it's this week in Detroit Tigers baseball on MotorCityBengals.com, part of the fan-sided network. You can always email us, MotorCityBengals at gmail.com, with your input. Do up on the Detroit Tigers schedule. They'll finish up the series at Oakland today. And then they'll head to Minnesota in very important games against the Twins. That's a weekend series. It's going to be a fun one. I'm Joe Dexter saying have a great weekend. We'll see you next week on This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball.